Take our Bibles and go to Matthew chapter number 18. Matthew chapter number 18. I already knew that we'd have problems with the sound system because I'm preaching something tonight that the devil does not like. And I pray, where's Tommy at? Tommy, where are you at? Where'd you go, Tommy? Are you back there? Tommy, did not not pray that tonight? I said, Lord, please be in the sound system and the music because I know the devil hates what I'm about to preach. And so uh, anyways, you guys are doing great in the sound booth. We appreciate all that you do. And sometimes we have technical difficulties. But hey, hey, if the, if the words go away, just stand there and go, amen, <laughs> strawberries, amen, or something. And uh, praise God. I, I tell you, keep the race before you, amen. We all have a race to run for God. Amen. Matthew chapter number 18, the parables of Jesus tonight. We're going to talk about the parable of the millstone and the lost sheep. Really two parables that are kind of melded into one tonight. And we're going to talk about these two parables tonight. Matthew chapter number 18. If you're there, would you say amen? Amen. amen. All right. Matthew 18, look at verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. And Jesus said, Verily I say unto thee, except ye be converted and become as, a little, become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones, which believeth in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. That's pretty strong language from Jesus right there. Let's look at verse 7. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot, please pay close attention to these words. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off. And cast them from thee, for it is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than to have two eyes and be cast into hellfire. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you, that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. That's an interesting thought right there. Look at verse 11. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. How think ye, if a man have a hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray? If, and if so be that ye find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep, than the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. We find ourselves in Matthew chapter number 18 tonight, and Jesus is dealing with his disciples. His disciples come to him with a question, with an issue, with a problem, something that they had on their hearts and their minds, and you would think it's going to be, in seri it's going to be serious, it's going to be an important topic but they come to Jesus and they ask Jesus, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Can you see the look on the Savior's face as he, as it kind of drops and he, re, and he knows the thoughts, he already knows everything, but, but just the question being asked, who's going to be the greatest? The implications and the, the thoughts behind that, who is the greatest, makes Christ tell them this parable. And so tonight we're going to study this parable about the millstone and the lost sheep. 
And we're going to learn three lessons tonight, I believe, from this parable. And so let's ask the Lord to help us as we go into the message tonight. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to learn these lessons. As Jesus, Lord, was talking to his disciples, may we take these lessons seriously for ourselves. And God, Lord, we understand tonight that we're no better than these disciples. And these are just men like us. And and they had selfish desires. and, And really, obviously, Lord, they did not have the spiritual mind that they should have had. But God, we're guilty of that too. So Lord, help us tonight to learn from them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Can you imagine the look on Jesus' face when the disciples came to him with this question? Jesus, who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I see here three lessons that I would like to bring forward tonight and try to capture for my life and hopefully for your life as well and for all of our church members. So if you're taking notes, let's jump right in with lesson number one. We see, first of all, a lesson in priorities. A lesson in priorities. At the same time, the disciples said unto Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus here is teaching his disciples that true humility, the true humility that that it takes when someone comes to Christ and follows Christ. And may I say that if you're here tonight and you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, really the gospel is a very simple thing. A child can understand the gospel. And the gospel is simple. And the gospel is something that even a child can understand. And Christ is telling his disciples that, hey, to be saved, to come to Christ, you must be like this little, this little child. It's not about who is the greatest or how much you know or how much you don't know. But it's about following Christ. And it's about believing in the gospel. Well, we see here that The gospel was on the heart of Christ. The gospel was always on the heart of Jesus. I think about the woman, the story of the woman at the well, when the disciples were really concerned about what they were going to eat. I could very much see myself in that group. And all God's people said, amen. Lord, what's for lunch? Amen. I know we got a lot to do, but I'm hungry. Isn't there an in and out in Samaria? What's going on here? And uh, I could see myself in that group, and so could you. And the disciples were flesh and bone like us, and they were concerned with what was going on around them. And and so we understand that uh, the human perspective here, who is going to be the greatest. But the Lord Jesus Christ was not worried about who was going to be the greatest. The disciples had a problem with their priorities. The gospel's never been about promotion, prominence, or popularity. The gospel's never been about who is the greatest, who is the best, who is the most liked. The gospel isn't about the most popular pastor or the, most, the biggest church. That's not what the gospel's about. The disciples were obviously confused about the priorities of Christ. You see, the disciples are like many Christians today. We have our priorities all messed up. And so tonight, we're going to use these men for our, hopefully our help tonight as we look at what they asked and their responses and those kinds of things. And hopefully it'll help us. How about we get 10 guys up here? How many 10, 12 guys? I mean, I need 12 disciples. Come on up. Fit guys, come on up. Just sit on right here on the front. Will you guys just sit down here? And I need 12. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Come on, brother Joe. Nine, 10. Do you mind, brother? Come on. Okay, good. Moises, come on up here. Go ahead and sit down, guys. Right here on the front. I just need 12 disciples, all right? Do I got 12 disciples here? You guys can sit on the other side of the pulpit, too, if you want, and if you want a social distance, all right? So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. Perfect. Have a seat, guys. And so imagine with me, Jesus is out, and imagine the multitudes are there. He's trying to teach. He's trying to heal. He's got all these things to do. He is, he is teaching the word of God. He's trying to, he's trying to, you don't think of the 12 disciples as this many guys, do you? That's a lot of beef, amen? 
No wonder they wanted lunch, you know? We got 12. Is that 12? Is that right? Is that 12? Say amen if it's 12. I don't work in the school. That's why. So anyway, so we have 12. We have, uh, let's see, we have Peter and Andrew. And these are a couple of fireballs right here. We have Peter and Andrew. We have James and John. We have, let's see, you're going to be Bartholomew, okay? And let's see, you're Thomas and you're Thaddeus and you're Simon. You're James the Less. And uh, what's that? No, Zebedee is the dad, but thanks for messing me up on my thought here. Who else do we have left? Who else do we have left? We got, yeah, we got Matthias. We got one more. I missed somebody. We got, did I say Philip? I got Philip right here. And then lastly, Brother, brother Ehrlich is Judas. All right, good. And so, amen. And so we have, brother, brother, would you come sit over here? Come sit over here, Brother Ehrlich. Would you come sit over here? You can be Judas. You can be first in line. Amen. And so Jesus is here, and he's got all his disciples there, and he's trying to teach, he's trying to preach, he's trying to heal, he's trying to do ministry, he's trying to, uh, he, Jesus, is, he says, I have the will, I'm trying to do the will of my Father, I'm trying to accomplish what God, uh, the Father, has given me to do, and he's, he tells the men, they're, they're, they're worried about lunch, they're worried about all these things, and he's telling these guys, he said, I have meat that my Father has for me to do that you don't know, uh, you don't know of, and, and, and so Christ is always trying to stay focused on winning the loss, he's always trying to stay focused on accomplishing the will of the Father. And so these guys, they get together and they, they just have a problem. They have a dispute amongst themselves and they just want to know. They just really need to know. They just have to know who's going to be the greatest. They want to know Peter over here. Oh, you're Peter. Peter over here. He thinks he's the greatest. He's the outspoken one. He's the best fisherman. He's, he's the guy. I mean, he, he's, the, he's the front line. So he knows he's going to be the greatest. And then where's John? Who do I say was John? John's over here somewhere. You're going to be John. John thinks he's the great. He's the disciple that Jesus loved. And Thomas is over here. He says, I doubt it. <laughs> Judas over here, he doesn't care who the greatest as long as he gets all the money. Amen. Money, money, money. Amen. And so they're arguing amongst themselves. Who's going to be the best? Who's going to be the greatest? Their priorities were messed up. They were thinking to themselves. They were thinking, man, uh, who, Jesus, who is going to have, who's going to sit next to you in heaven? There's other scriptures we could go to tonight, parallel passages where they were worried about who's going to have position, who's going to have prominence. They wanted to know who was the best, who was the greatest. Here Jesus was raising people from the dead, and they were wondering who was the greatest. Here Jesus was teaching them God's word, prophesying about the future, telling them about things to come, and they're worried about who was the greatest. Here they are. All these things are happening. The blind men are, are being healed and the lame are walking again and all of these wonderful things. And here they have the Son of God right in front of them and they're wondering who is what? The greatest. These men were guilty of missing the point of the gospel. I said they were missing the point altogether. It wasn't about who was the greatest. It wasn't about who was going to be the best. The point was, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Let's say that together. Ready to begin? I am crucified with Christ. I am crucified with him. In other words, when I decided to follow Christ, I died to myself. And I died to my wants. And I died to my needs. And I died to me being the greatest. John said, he looked at Christ, he said, he must increase and I must decrease. May I just say tonight that it's not about who the greatest is. It's not about my position. It's not about how I look. It's not if I got to sing the solo or not. It's not if I got picked to teach the class or not. It's not if what this brother thinks that I'm this way or this brother thinks that or this sister thinks that I'm this way. It's not about all that. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm afraid today that many Christians are missing the point. I said, I'm afraid that many Christians are missing the point. They're missing the point of church. They're missing the point of prayer. They're missing the point of giving. They're missing the point of all these things because it's more about how they look and their position and how the other people see them and, and what, what, uh, what rank they have or, or, or what position they have. And that, all those things are missing the point. You know why we're here today is to bring glory to God. That's why we're here tonight. Not to bring glory to ourselves. It's not about Peter. It's not about James and John. It's not about you or me. It's about him and bringing glory to him. Some Christians have the idea that following Christ is to make a better version of yourself and to be a better you. And listen, I understand as we get to know God and as we begin to learn his word and as we grow in grace and in truth, we will become better. But that's not why we get saved. It's not about being a better me. It's not about uh, having uh, just becoming a better version of myself. No, no, no. I am crucified with Christ. So Jesus, he really does something that kind of shakes these guys up. Let's see here. Callum, can you help me, buddy? Come on up here, buddy. He didn't know I was going to do this. I didn't want to you know, get him all riled up before church. If you don't know Callum, this is my, this is my six-year-old son. Isn't he handsome? Mm-hmm. You having fun, buddy? Yeah. Okay. And so Jesus comes to the disciples, and he brings a little kid, and he stands him before them. And he says, listen, guys, it's not about who the greatest is. If you want to go to heaven, then you need to become like this guy. And for someone who asked Jesus into their heart, you got you to gotta be humble like a child. What Jesus was trying to tell these men is he's trying to show them, listen, it's not about who the greatest is. Your priorities are messed up. Thank you, buddy. You can go sit down. <laughs> and he uses the illustration of a little child. And Peter's, he's worried about him being the greatest. And this guy's worried about what people think about him. And Jesus brings this little kid in front of him. He says, guys, you're missing the point altogether. We see a lesson here. Jesus calls a little child unto him. He sets them in the midst of them. He says, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. They're worried about being the greatest. And Jesus says, what are you talking about being the greatest? If you don't come to Christ like a little child, forget about the greatest. You won't even make it in the gates. If you don't come to Christ as a little child in humility and you come before Christ recognizing who you are before a holy God and recognizing that you're just a sinner like everybody else, if you don't come to Christ in that way, you won't even make it through the gates, much less be the greatest. I think Judas is over here. He's thinking to himself, he's, he's got it all figured out. I don't know if Christ was talking directly to him or who all he was saying. You got to figure it out, don't you? Bro? He, he's talking, but listen, tonight, the gospel is not about how great we are and how good we do and how many years we've been in church and all those things. No, it's about Christ and what he did for me on the cross. It's not about my pedigree. It's not the fact that my dad was a pastor or I'm a Baptist or a Presbyterian or whatever I am. What it's about is whether or not I've accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and come to him as a child. If it wasn't for grace in our life, you and I would spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Unless you start there, You'll never get past the pearly gates. So listen, the point tonight, the point tonight is not who is the greatest or who is the best. The point tonight is the gospel. The gospel tonight should be our number one priority. Verse 11 in this chapter tells us, for the Son of Man is come to what? Save that which was lost. Save that which was lost. That was on Christ's mind. These men were thinking about who the greatest was. Christ was thinking about the gospel. 
The gospel tonight should be our priority. Amen? That should be our priority. The gospel should be our focus. That should be the vision statement of our family. That should be the passion. That should be our mission. That should be our aspiration. That should be our life's goal. That should be what we strive for. That should be what we work for, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we see tonight a lesson in priorities. Thank you, guys. You can go sit down. And uh, should I just have them leave, sit them up here? They're fun to look at, aren't they? And uh, thank you, guys. We see a lesson in priority. How many of you tonight, how many of you tonight struggle with priorities? You can raise your hand. It's okay. My hand's up too. Struggle with priorities. And so Christ was trying to teach these men. It's not about you. It's about the gospel. I see, secondly, here a lesson in penalties. A lesson in penalties. This is really what I was talking about when I said the devil doesn't like this kind of message. We see here in verse 6, but the whoso shall offend one of these little ones that believeth in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Letter A, if you're taking notes, we see a penalty for persecution. A penalty for persecution. They say that since Acts chapter number 7, when Stephen was stoned to death, and he became the first Christian martyr. They say that up until today, there's been over 70 million Christians who've been killed for their faith. 70 million. It's estimated that every year, about 100,000 Christians are killed every single year around the world. Many of those are killed because of the region that they live in. Many of those are killed uh, because they are in a Christian a place or they, they belong to a Christian family. Some of those are, are, are killed because they're actively witnessing for Christ, but it's estimated that there are 100,000 people killed because of the name of Christ every single year. Those numbers represent those uh, that we know. I, I can think of <clears throat> several missionaries that we know of. One man was shot uh, this uh, last year in his truck. He was shot several times. And Brother Pierce, if we, our missionary Brother Pierce, uh, she works with his organization now trying to help uh, other missionary wives who've lost their husbands on the field. And, and listen, we, that, that stuff is so far away to us, but it happens uh, where missionaries are. Uh, our brother over here told me a story when he was on the mission field and they detained him and, and, and was looking at being hurt for the gospel. And may I just say, there's places around the world tonight where Christians are suffering and dying for their faith. Right. We're so fortunate to live in America. 100,000 people a year die for the name of Christ. And we understand, as Jesus said, woe unto them, woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses should come. We understand that we may not suffer persecution right now. And by the way, we don't suffer really persecution right now. And all God's people said, but there may come a day. I'm not a doomsday preacher. and I don't like to put dates on stuff. But I have to tell you, I feel like it might be coming sooner than we realize when we will suffer for the name of Christ. And I just want to say to you tonight that Jesus said, offenses will come. Offenses will come. Oh, but we don't need to dwell there. Because Jesus says, woe unto the person by which those offenses come. May I just say the Bible says that there will come a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And those who put their hands and, and take the life of a child of God is going to pay a dear price someday for that. We don't rejoice in that. We understand tonight that the gospel is worth our life. And thank God that we live in America. Sometimes I wonder, you know, Oh, we're free to, to pass out gospel tracts. We're free to go soul winning. There is no persecution whatsoever. We should be doing it a lot more. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. There may come a day where we are not allowed to do that. Jesus is saying there's a time coming when those 
who trust in Christ will be persecuted, but those who persecute the church will pay the price. So we see a penalty for persecution, but letter B, we see a permanent penalty. He says in verse 8, he says, Wherefore, if thine hand or thy foot offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. This is some pretty strong language. I'm going to say, this is a pretty strong language. It's amazing to me that, that some people make Jesus look like he was some really soft, like, you know, I'm going to tell you, Jesus said some pretty amazing things, pretty straight on things here. And he's saying, basically what he's saying here in verse 8 and 9 is he's saying, if your eye offends you, if your hand offends you, get rid of it. It's better to go to life, to go into eternal life with no hands than to go into hell with two hands. If your right eye offend you, pull it out, pluck it out, because it's better to enter uh, uh, into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and be cast into hellfire. Jesus is saying that the penalty for sin is severe. It's severe. It would be better to suffer any amount of pain here on earth. Listen to what I'm saying tonight. It'd be better to suffer any amount of pain here on earth and to be saved than to go through life sitting in a comfy chair and go to hell. May I just say, church, tonight, hell is real. I said hell is real. You may not like that. You may not like to hear that. I certainly don't like to say it. But it's real. It's as real as this pulpit. Hell is a real place. I said hell is a real place. I think if we just got that concept down, I think if we just really thought about hell being real, if we really considered what hell was and what hell is, I tell you, it would change our lives. It would change who we are fundamentally if we recognized and believed in a place called hell. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Matthew chapter number 10, verse 28, fear not them which kill the body and are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him which is able both to destroy the body and soul in hell. Revelation 20.14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Revelation 20.15, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Matthew 13.50, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Hebrews chapter number 10, verse 26. Would you go there in your Bibles? Hebrews chapter number 10, verse 26. Hebrews 10, verse 26. If you look there with me, verse 26 says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for a judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye he shall be thought worthy, who hath trodden under the foot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherein he was sacrificed an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance Belongeth to me, unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. Verse 31, would you read that with me? Ready to begin. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of May I just remind us all tonight that hell is real. And those that die without Christ are going to hell. We don't rejoice in that. It's not a happy thing. It's not something to be excited about, but it's the truth. 
Every soul, every person that we know, listen, every coworker that we see every day, every neighbor that we pick up our paper next to in the morning, every uh, Amazon guy that drops off a package, every person that stands in line at Costco, every person that we see in the line at the gas station, every neighbor that we see as we walk down our, our dog down the street, every single person that we see that does not know the name of Jesus Christ and has never put their faith and trust in him will burn in the lake of fire forever and ever. That ought to rattle our cage. It ought to change us. It ought to change how we view the world. It ought to shake us at our core. Luke chapter number 16, verse 9, there was a certain rich man. He was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at the gate full of sores and desired to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died. And was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man died and was buried. By the way, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. Everybody dies. We all have a death date. Amen. So both these men were dead and were buried. In verse 23, and what's the next two words? And in hell. Well, man, pastor, don't you, don't you understand that when you die, you just go on the ground and that's it. That's not what the Bible teaches. Well, don't you know that our bodies just burn up? That's what it's talking about. We just burn up and we cease to exist. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says here, he says, and in hell, he lifted up his eyes. He was, he could see in hell. He had his faculties. He understood who he was and where he was. He understood that he was being tormented. He sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. Hell is not a fun place. I've heard people say, and I haven't heard anybody say this recently, but I've heard people say, man, I would rather go to hell. I'd rather just be with my friends in hell. You're not going to be with your friends in hell. It's outer darkness. You don't see anything. You're tormented in the flames of hell. It's not a place you want to be. And it's not a place you go to and then you say, oh man, I'm sorry. Can I get a do-over? You don't get a do-over. It's eternity. Notice what happens next here in our story here. He lifts up his eyes being in torment. He says, can, can somebody come? Can I go back and can I warn them? Can I warn my brothers? Can I warn people and tell them about this place? And they say, no, he can't do it. If they, don't, if they don't have, if they don't listen to the word of God they have now, if they don't listen to the prophets, they don't listen to the preachers, if they don't listen now, they're not going to listen to you either. And that reminds me of some, some people that sit in church week after week after week after week. They know they're not saved. They know they're on their way to hell and they don't get saved. And I ask myself, why? Why? May I just say tonight, I'm not trying to scare anybody into getting saved, but I tell you, hell is a scary place and it's real. I don't know. I, I tell you, I, I fear for America because churches are not preaching about hell anymore. It's offensive. It's offensive. The word hell is offensive. But how many understand tonight? It's in the Bible. How many understand that Jesus talked about it? How many understand that hell is important? To, our kids understand what hell is. And how many understand that our young people understand that hell is real? It's not something to mess around with. Listen, your salvation might seem like a game to you, but it's no game. I'll never forget the first funeral I ever did was for a 16-year-old boy who was hit by a train from behind. He never knew it was coming. He was riding his motorcycle one day, just turned 16 years old, had his whole life before him. About two months earlier than that, I led him to Christ on the side of the road. Praise God. And then the next thing I know, I was standing 
standing before the casket of that young man. And as his mother walked up to the casket, literally fell down and fainted at the sight of her boy dead at 16 years old. You don't know how long your life is going to be. You don't know how long you're going to live. You're not promised tomorrow. I hope you live a long life, but we're not promised those things. And may I just say tonight, tonight is not the night to play games with your eternity. If you do not know for sure that you're on your way to heaven, I would be the first person down this aisle and say, God, forgive me for my unbelief. Jesus Christ, I'm going to trust in you as a little child. Would you save me tonight? That's what I would do tonight if I didn't know for sure I was saved. I'll never forget when I was 19 years old. I grew up in a church, a good Baptist church. My dad was my pastor, and I remember I, I made a profession of faith, but I didn't realize that I was a sinner. And I tell you, I don't remember getting saved in my whole life. I talked about being saved, and every time the preacher would preach on hell, and every time they would talk about heaven, and every time someone asked me my salvation testimony, I would make it up. I would say, I know for sure I'm saved, but in my heart, I knew there was a problem. I knew that I wasn't saved, and I didn't have a problem with sin. I could do whatever I wanted. It didn't bother me. And then all of a sudden, one night, I had a dream, and in that dream, there was a bunch of people, and I was watching them, and all of a sudden, there was this giant black hole in my dream, and people were going into that hole and scraping the ground as they were heading into hell. I don't believe in dreams, and just, just I don't believe in all that stuff, like, oh, I got a dream, man. Hey, that's cool. That's not what I'm talking about, but it was a dream, and I saw those people going into hell, and I woke up in a sweat, because in that dream, I saw those people going to hell, and I thought, man, I feel sorry for those people. I need to do something for those people, and all of a sudden, I fell backwards on the ground, and I felt the pole going into hell myself, and I woke up that morning on a Saturday morning, about 300 feet from this spot over there in that house, and I woke up on that couch, and I realized, hey, it doesn't matter that I'm a pastor's son. It doesn't matter that I've been to Bible college. It doesn't matter that I know the verses by heart. It doesn't matter that I've even told others about Jesus Christ. I don't know for sure that I'm on my way to heaven. And that morning, I bowed my head, and I accepted Christ as my Savior. And Brother John, I'll never forget that moment when I raised my head up from that. I knew for sure I was on my way to heaven. I didn't have to worry about hell anymore. And ever since that day, I'm telling you, ever since that day, I know for sure. This is why I don't believe in this Pentecostal stuff where you got to speak in tongues. And I don't believe in this Pentecostal stuff where you got to touch somebody on the forehead and they get healed. Because when I got saved, I'll tell you what, brother, I grew up in church and I didn't have the Holy Spirit of God inside of me. But when I got saved, I'll tell you something, that Holy Spirit came inside of me. Let me tell you. Because the next time I went to sin, brother, I asked brother, that Holy Spirit said, I don't think so. And all of a sudden, that rock music that I love to listen to didn't sound good anymore. And all of a sudden, all the other stuff that I was doing that, you know, it's none of your business, amen. All of a sudden, all that other stuff I was doing, the Holy Spirit said, I don't think so. I never slapped anybody on the forehead, Brother Paul. Nobody ever fell on the ground and flopped around like a fish. I never talked in tongues, never did any of that stuff. But I know for sure I'm saved this morning, tonight. Whatever time it is, I'm saved, amen. I want to tell you something tonight. If you don't know for sure that heaven's your home, hell is real. I said hell is real. Hell is real. And I want to tell you something tonight. Stop playing games with God. You don't know how much time you have. Get it right. Get it right. Mark chapter number 9, verse 43. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. I don't want to go forward, man. People are going to think, oh, I tell you what. Who cares what other people think? Who cares? (laughs) It's better that somebody thinks whatever about you than to go to hell. Man, Spurgeon said this, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Oh, my friend tonight, may we not get so tied up with all of who's the greatest and who's the best. Well, may we be consumed with the gospel. 
If not for heaven's sake, then for hell's sake. The other night I was laying in bed and the souls of the men of Manteca ought to consume your thoughts. The souls of the people in Stockton ought to consume your mind. Hell's a real place. We sit in our chairs sometimes and boy, everything is good and the music is great and I praise the Lord for it. And boy, I love the programs and I love the teen group and all those things. But there are people out there that are dying and going to hell. There needs to be some Christians that are consumed with that. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let me give you lesson number two. Man, I preached way too long. All right, here we go. Lesson number two, we see a lesson in passion. I'm going to go real quick here. A lesson in passion. Take heed that he despise not one of these little ones. Lesson number three, a lesson in passion. For I say unto you that heaven and the angels do always behold their face, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. We see the passion of our Savior. The passion of our Savior. Jesus wraps up the parable of the millstone with a seamless Intro into his passion, the lost sheep. I'll just close with this illustration. We see here in Luke, we see in Luke chapter number nine, verse 10. By, by the way, in some Bible versions, this, this, uh, this uh, verse is missing. But in our King James Bible, we have it. Amen. It says, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was the mission of Christ. Second Peter chapter number three, verse nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us, and not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is not willing any, that any should perish. By the way, we don't believe that tonight, that God is willing that some should perish and some shouldn't. God is not willing that any should perish. And so Christ's passion was to seek and to save that which was lost. We see the 99 sheep and the one sheep. He says, the man is excited when the one sheep gets gets saved and comes back. He was willing to leave the 99 and go find the one. It was precious to him. It was his passion. May I ask you tonight, what is your passion? What is your passion? Last night, <clears throat> I was wrapping up this message, actually, and just kind of working on some stuff. And my son, Gavin, got some brand new glasses. And uh, boy, that was, a, uh, you know, with COVID and everything, that was a trip getting him these new glasses. And, and taking Gavin to the eye doctor is an interesting thing anyway. <laughs> so... And so anyways, we got these eyeglasses and, and they, they wrap around his ears. He can see good with them and all that. And uh, we've been trying to keep track of him, but you know, he doesn't like the eyeglasses, do you, Gavin? He doesn't like them. And so once in a while, he'll take them off and he'll, he'll hide them or do something with them, you know? And so a couple of days ago, the eyeglasses went missing. They went missing magically yesterday, yeah. And so my wife, my Laurel, she's looking everywhere for these eyeglasses. She's tearing things up. She's looking everywhere we've been, all throughout church, the nurseries, my office. She's looking, you know, everywhere we've been, the cars, my parents' house. She was at Walmart. She was at Cotton. No, I'm just kidding. She was looking for these glasses, trying to find these, because they are important to us. So last night I got Gavin, and I said, Gavin, tell Daddy, where are the glasses? He goes, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I said, what do you mean you're sorry? He goes, they're in the trash. He said, I'm so sorry. They're in the trash. I said, that's okay. I'll dig through the trash. And so I went and I got the trash. I got all three bags of trash back out of the trash can. I got some gloves on. And I began to dig through that trash, Brother Asprelli. Last night. That's why you smell something funny today. That's me. Anyway, I'm digging through the trash. I mean, I found I got, I got the old spaghetti. I'm pulling spaghetti out. I'm pulling coffee, you know, grounds out. I'm pulling old eggs out. I get all the way down to the end of the one trash bag. Not there. I'm like, no problem. Go to the next trash bag. I start digging through that trash bag. Boy, leftovers and roll, you know, half-eaten rolls and peanut butter sandwiches. And, and you know, I'm pulling this stuff out. Use Q-tips, everything in the world. Amen. All the way to the bottom of that trash bag. 
No glasses. No problem. Third time's a charm. Get, get that bag out. Boy, I'm digging through the muck. I'm digging through the mire. I'm digging. I'm putting up with the stench. I'm putting up with all that, that garbage, trying to find those. Why? Because those glasses were what? Valuable to us. I get all the way down to the bottom of that bag, and guess what? They weren't there. Amen? So I don't know where they are. But anyway, here's my point. You and I were that lost sheep one time. And we were valuable to God. And I don't know about you, but God had to dig through a lot of garbage to get to me. He had to put up with my stench. He had to put up with my stink. He had to dig through that garbage to find me. And when he did, boy, I'm telling you, I got saved. I want to tell you something. I got saved, but he had to dig through some garbage to get to me. Why? Because I am valuable to him. Can I just say tonight, so are you. You're valuable to him. He would have left the 99. He left the 99 to come after you. And may I just say tonight, that was his passion. And that should be our passion, to go after someone else. And so tonight, what lesson helps you? Is it the lesson on priorities? It's not about the greatest. It's about the gospel. Is the lesson on the penalty? Is there, is there any doubt in your mind that you're on your way to heaven? Is the lesson about passion for you? Whatever the lesson is, may we learn it tonight. Every head bowed and every eye closed.